Another government shutdown might be upon us as the September 30th deadline to pass a federal budget looms. Massive austerity cuts to public programs are on the table, and Congress is yet again unable to do anything other than argue over how to harm working people. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you, if you're not yet, to become a patron today. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Here we go again, Richard. Here we go again. 21 times since 1976, the Congress of the United States that, you know, by constitutional mandate controls the purse strings has used that power to actually shut the government down. And it wasn't so long ago that it was shut down. It was shut down for 34 days. This time, the so-called Freedom Caucus, I'm using big air quotes around the word freedom, The Freedom Caucus, the far right inside of the Republican Party and inside of the Congress, are insisting that they won't support a budget resolution unless and until President Biden cancels completely the student loan forgiveness program, rescinds all unspent COVID-19 and Inflation Reduction Act funds, enact the RAINS Act, that's a bill that would broaden congressional input on agency regulations, meaning basically to get rid of them, to loosen domestic energy production regulations, that would be oil, of course. The group also wants to restore the work requirements that Bill Clinton, the Clinton administration, imposed on people seeking public assistance. That was in 1996 when Clinton did what Reagan could only dream of and end welfare as we know it, as he said, kicked 10 million people off of public assistance. The Freedom Caucus is demanding that before people become eligible to go to a doctor vis-a-vis Medicaid, that they have to meet work requirements. Also, there is a resolution that there will be a cap on spending except for so-called defense spending, which, of course, is war spending. Richard. Again, this is the U.S. government. This is the U.S. Congress. This happens over and over and over again. And now you see Donald Trump in the last few hours has weighed in, insisting that no one negotiate, no one give in. And even Kevin McCarthy, the very far right leader of the Speaker of the House, 
even he's on the spot now because Trump is obviously supporting with the far right. Anyway, I want to get your take on it. And then we're going to talk a little bit, Richard, about what's being closed down or looming to be closed down, what the government's preparing to close down versus what will not be closed down. But let's get your take. Okay, I'm going to begin by taking a step back. And I do that for two reasons. Number one, in my judgment, all of this material is political theater. It is a way for the Republicans and the Democrats, more right-wing, more moderate, whatever, to go out there in public and posture, speaking to their political base and getting incredible amounts of free publicity as the mainstream media make the game be, let's pretend all of this is more than theater, which it isn't. As you nicely pointed out, we've done this now over 20 times, exact same scenario each time. Somebody says, I won't vote for the budget. Then we won't have a budget. If we don't have a budget, the government shuts down. I won't change my view unless you give me what I want. Oh, no, I won't change my view unless you give me what I want. The Republicans appeal to their base by being concerned about the deficit and therefore determined not to make it worse by borrowing all this money for the spending that those nasty Democrats want to continue to do. The Democrats, every bit as theatrically inclined as the Republicans, make sure we all know what horrible pain it will mean to millions of American citizens if the Republicans get even half of the cuts in spending that they're after. Back and forth, yelling and accusing and threatening, and we all have to watch it day after day or read about it by pundits who should know better. So then what is the issue if it's not what they claim? Well, as in many cases in human history, what is not being spoken is the loudest message of all. And that's the case here. What's not being spoken? Well, let me explain very briefly. If what the Republicans want, which is what they say, that the government not run a deficit, which is what they say, not spend $7 trillion when they take in five, etc., then the easiest and the best and the most equitable and the fairest thing to do would be to tax corporations and the rich. Because if you raise their taxes, then you could spend all you need to and you wouldn't worsen the deficit because a deficit simply means when the government spends more than it taxes. You can get rid of a deficit by taxing more. Notice the Republicans never say a word about that as if this obvious reality weren't there. Now the Democrats, they want us to think that the issue is purely whether we stand by the supports we give to college students, to poor people, to immigrants, to all the people that depend on the government, which is the majority of Americans one way or another, that will all be taken away. And so we must defeat the Republicans to save the spending. Wait a minute, they're not talking about taxes either. And they could, and they should, because the taxes 
if they were raised, would allow for the Democrats to continue to spend everything they're spending now without worsening the deficit, which is what those Republicans claim they want to deal with. So we have the phenomena that neither the Republicans nor the Democrats advocate for raising corporate taxes. And by how much? That's easy. Two steps. Step one, go back to what they were up until 2017, when the right-wing Republicans gave an enormous tax cut to corporations and the rich, thereby creating the very deficit they now declaim against. And the second step would be take them further back, take them back to the end of World War II, back in the 1940s and 50s when the taxes on corporations and the rich were much, 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 I could say a few more muches, higher than they are today. And that would solve the problem. Suddenly you don't have to cut government spending and suddenly you don't have a deficit anymore. So notice that the two major parties agree not only not to advocate for raising taxes, but not even to say a word about it. Incredible as a performance in which the silence is much more loud than what it is they're talking about it being theater. Now some of the technical things very quickly. The U.S. Treasury Department has considerable leeway, considerable fudge space in deciding what part of the government to cut when and how, if indeed government spending is to be cut and the government is to quote unquote shut down. Who gets shut down? By how much? All of that is variable. And if there is a shutdown, if this theater goes into overtime, well then, we'll hear about that discretion. The Republicans will denounce it. The Democrats will parade around as though they're at least saving something, since, of course, you can't say a word about taxing corporations and the rich, suggesting that both parties are, how shall I put it, domesticated by that two-party agreement never to talk about taxing corporations and the rich. And here's the next thing. Many of the stop spending are illusions. In other words, the workers involved will no longer be paid government jobs, but they will be furloughed, in which a commitment, more or less firm, to hire you back and to pay you back pay is what has happened in the past and therefore what is reasonable to be expected now. So yeah, you won't pay these people. Yeah, it's outrageous for them to suffer having to work basically without getting paid because only if they continue to work will they continue to be employed and therefore have a claim for back pay when the furlough is over. I could go on all day. There's lots of legislation about who gets cut when, how, with a furlough, without a furlough. It's just, it's all theater to allow the mass media grab our attention by predicting another disaster as if the tsunami and the hurricanes weren't enough. So we glue ourselves to this crazy theater in which the most important thing is never spoken of 
and endless doom and gloom scenarios are promoted to us in the deep hope that we won't know or remember how often this was done. Last point. The usual agreement that ends the shutdown or prevents it from starting has had the same shape every time. The Republicans don't get the cut in spending. And you know why? Because in the end, they don't want it. If the government really stopped spending the way the right wing suggests, it would crash the American economy probably in a matter of weeks. So they don't want that. And the businesses that support the Republican Party, they don't really want that either. This is theater. And likewise, the Democrats understand they cannot and will not attack the corporate rich, the people who are, after all, their donors, too. So they know that in the end, here's the deal. We'll do some cosmetic cutting. You know, a little here, a little there. It'll hurt a bunch of poor people, but who cares? Meanwhile, you'll give us the bulk of the money because you, in fact, will go out and borrow more, which is what you've done in the past. So we'll give you a little symbolic cut. You give us noise and blah, 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 blah. And then in the end, the spending continues and the deficits continue. That's been the pattern for the last half century, and there's no sign that it's ending anytime soon. Richard, members of Congress, by constitutional requirement, they will continue to be paid by this during this three-week, four-week, five-week, we don't know how long. The 800,000 employees were furloughed last time. They didn't get paid for 34 days, then they got back pay. That's out of 2.1 million people who are federal government employees. So 800,000 were actually told not to come to work. Article 1, Section 6 of the Constitution requires compensation for members of Congress different from all other federal workers. The senators and representatives of the House shall receive a compensation for their services to be ascertained by law and paid out of the Treasury of the United States. In addition, the language of the 27th Amendment, which prohibits any law, quote, varying the compensation for the services of the senators and representatives, is not legal. Anyway, since all these people, the right-wing part of the theater that you're talking about is demanding that people not be paid because they have to have more deficit cutting, they could start with their own salaries, but I'm pretty certain that's not going to happen. But here's what the Biden administration is planning to shut down. If we have a shutdown, women, infant, children shuts down. And that means the nutrition assistance to those moms and young children shuts down. That's according to Tom Vilsack, agriculture secretary. He told that to reporters on Monday. In recent days, the White House has spotlighted several government programs that will be suspended, including, as I mentioned, nutrition, immunization assistance given out through the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infant, and Children. If funding lapses, the White House said nearly 7 million women and children could lose critical access to food, and the federal contingency fund to keep the program running could dry within days. Richard, you know, it just occurred to me, the Biden administration could say, well, you know what? In order to not have these programs shut down, 
in order to keep them open in spite of the evil Freedom Caucus Republican BS attacks, we're going to take the money, say, from other parts of the budget. Say, let's take it from border security, for instance. Let's move temporarily, at least, money from border security. Let's not keep that open. Let's close that. Same with defense spending, so-called. And yet what the Biden administration is basically doing in this theater is holding these programs that are designed to help women and children, low-income people. They're, in essence, holding them hostage and say, look, you evil Republicans, you will be responsible for this, and they will score points, and the Republicans are evil for doing it. But the fact is, they have a lot of discretion about what stays open and what closes. Yep. They always have, and we're just talking about what is known publicly. There's all kinds of things you can do with any budget. It's not particular to the Republicans or the Democrats. There's all kinds of quasi-legal, semi-legal, as well as legal mechanisms available to them. And also what these officials say is designed to get the votes that they want. It's not necessarily what they're going to do. They can't be held three weeks from now to what they said in a meeting with reporters this week. They'll always have six things to point to that made them change their mind in the interest of the people, which is what they always say. No one should take this theatric seriously. Can real people be harmed by what happened? Absolutely. The catalog you began listing is a very long catalog of all kinds of people who can be made to suffer. I mean, really? Are you going to close VA hospitals? Are you going to? What are you going to do? Stop subsidizing people who inspect to make sure the airplane is safe or the train is safe or the bus is safe. The people who inspect our meat, are they going to be put on furlough? So, you know, Rotten dogs will be sent to the market in place of beef or lamb. I mean, who knows? And that's part of the, the enjoyment of all of this. It's a little bit the uncertainty. The media can go to town. Everybody can pay attention and thereby not realize that if we were to reverse the tax cuts of 2017, and let me remind everyone, 2017 was a year at the end of 40, count them, 40 years during which wealth and income in the United States was redistributed from the bottom and the middle to those at the top. That half century is the time when the average CEO of a corporation stopped earning 40 times what the median worker got and became the recipient of 300 times what the median worker wants. The taxes were cut at the end of a period of time when the rich had gotten richer than ever before, when the stock market had had the greatest peacetime boom in the history of the United States. Very clearly, the corporations and the rich needed it less than ever before. And instead of being asked to pay up some of the taxes that had been cut for them, they were given a massive tax cut. It's only the astonishing willingness of the American people to accept all of this that now allows the Republicans who pushed for those tax cuts, which plunged the economy into a deficit, to now use the deficit they created in order to make again the argument that the only way to deal with a deficit is by cutting the spending of the 
government when any child who's introduced to this topic knows that if you don't want a deficit, and the government can't spend more than it takes in, then there's two solutions. One is to cut the spending, Republicans, and the other one is to raise taxes on the rich and corporations, and there's no one advocating for that. So we're left with give the Republicans what they want and slash spending, or watch the government shut down with all the suffering that that means. It's an unbelievable moment and if you take a second step back, it tells you about the dysfunction of U.S. capitalism, that it brings us to this point. Yes, the government has run up enormous deficits. And you know why? Because having, being the country in the world that has 700 foreign military bases, that is active militarily everywhere, is incredibly expensive. This year alone, running about a trillion dollars. And if you made the American people pay for the defense they claim to get, you wouldn't have seen anything like this. But so the government pays for the defense, you guessed it, by borrowing. And since neither Republicans nor Democrats have the nerve or the dare to question the military spending any more than they're willing to question taxing corporations and the rich, or rather letting them go without being properly taxed, you're going to see this same theater continued. It's a system that isn't working. The government has to spend to keep the economy going. And so it does. But it can't afford to tax people because it would have a revolt on its hands. So it doesn't. And instead it borrows. And as I have mentioned on this program more than once, never forget that when the dust settles and the government goes out to borrow all that money that racks up the deficit, it borrows from corporations and the rich because the rest of us haven't got any money to lend to the government. And so ironically, from the standpoint of the corporations and the rich, by getting out of paying taxes, they're left with the money not paid in taxes, which they can turn around and lend to the government that did them the favor of not taxing them, and now will add to that by borrowing it and paying them interest every year before paying back that amount of money. Of course, corporations and the rich can live with deficits. They always have because they make money off of them. Richard, that's very, very important, and I want people to really pay attention to that and think about it, that by failing to tax the rich, the government then, in order to pay its bills, has to borrow the money, borrows it from the same rich, from the corporations, from the banks, and then pays them back with interest. Maybe it's 3%, 5%, 7%, whatever it is, it comes from the hard-earned tax dollars of working people that then the debt becomes a source of profit for the capitalists. I mean, that's how the system actually works. Yep. One thing that I think is important also to bring out here, and you alluded to it, I want to just make the point one more time. In 2018, during the Trump administration, when the government did shut down for 34 days and 800,000 employees were furloughed for those 34 days, they didn't work, they didn't get paid, I just want to bring to people's attention what was actually shut down. It wasn't the Department of Justice. 
It wasn't border security. It certainly wasn't defense spending. During that shutdown, inspections of chemical factories were ended by government inspectors. Inspection of power plants and water treatment plants were ended during for those 34 days. The Environmental Protection Agency made that decision. It furloughed thousands of workers. The Food and Drug Administration also stopped carrying out routine food safety inspections of seafood, fruits, and vegetables. Again, when the government shuts down, you see the Department of Justice right now, the Biden administration has said they're going to maintain 85% of the workers who work for the DOJ. That is, of course, for the prosecutors and the other elements of the federal sort of repressive apparatus. That's going to be fully staffed. So will border security. So will the Pentagon. But it's going to be FDA inspections. It's going to be inspections of power plants, water treatment plants. That's what's going to be shut down again. And again, it demonstrates what the real priority is for both parties. Because you had Trump in 2018, but now we have Biden, the Democrat, not Trump, not a Republican. And in terms of what's going to be shut down in the face of this completely gratuitous, unnecessary theatrical performance, they're basically doing the same thing. Yeah, it's an extraordinary demonstration of the dead end into which U.S. capitalism has gone. Just think of it. The economy cannot survive without government support. That's what we've learned. The only thing that got us through the crash of 2008 and 9 was the government bailing out the banks and everybody else. The only thing that got us through the pandemic was the government coming in and supplementing unemployment compensation, giving loans that were converted into grants to businesses. Over and over and over again, the government saves the economy. And the government now has to raise enormous amounts of money to bail out this capitalist system. So the right-wingers denounce the government for doing what the capitalist system, which those right-wingers support, is forcing the government to do. The government didn't grow when there weren't these crashes that needed so much help. The government grew in the 20th century because of the Great Depression. And the government grew again because of World Wars I and II. Hmm, capitalism grows the government when it needs it. To denounce the government is a little bit like denouncing the bad weather. The bad weather's going to come. You need the water. It doesn't come at the same time. You need the cold and the seasons. And to declaim against it becomes crazy. To declaim against the government that is supporting this economy. Try to imagine what would happen to American families if there weren't Social Security supporting not just the elderly, but all of their children who don't have to lose the money they have to support their elders to the same extent because there's a social security or all those inspections or all those operations of government. So the system can't perform without the government, which it can't trust and therefore denounces. This kind of a contradiction, this absurdity is where we've come to. And even though you might be used to it and it might seem routine, it is the sign of a system that is declining to the point that it is becoming delusional about what is going on and what matters. And that allows the flim-flam political theater of government closing. Indeed, Richard. The dysfunction of the government is 
available for the entire world to see. And when the world looks at China's economic and governmental model and other countries and they see, well, they're not routinely shutting down. People around the world don't conflate constantly shutting down your own government as an expression of freedom and democracy. It appears to be dysfunction, incompetence, and motivated by greed by the different players who actually don't care at all about the social good. And I think that's completely accurate. I mean, when you think about the fact that this Congress has impeached Trump twice, now there's going to be an impeachment of Biden, routinely shutting the government down. All Congress basically does, in addition to rubber stamping the defense budget, is basically investigate itself, impeach itself, carry out these kind of inquiries. And obviously, nobody, none of the working class people in this country benefit from any of that. And I think when you look at public approval polls, Richard, the president's unpopular. I mean, Biden is very unpopular. Trump is unpopular. None of them can get to the 50%. But Congress, the approval rating for Congress is like 6% or 7%. And again, it's not because people are happy with the way things are. It's like there hasn't or isn't at the moment the kind of mass working class movement that appears to be viable enough to win and that would inspire lots of workers. Some of them vote Democrats, some vote Republicans, some of them, many of them don't vote at all. But people want change. It's just that this political system offers them nothing. I'll give you the last word in our last minute. Let me just pick up on that last point. There's a reason why, for example, you don't have in any European country this kind of theater. The reason is that whoever runs those governments, there are always powerful oppositional forces that are sufficiently strong and sufficiently well-organized that they can generate the money and the energy to expose the game that is being played here in the United States. They have the same kinds of interests that might produce a temptation but the problem is here you have folks like you and me exposing the corruption and the absurdity of what is being done, making the simple point, if you raise taxes on corporations and the rich, what you claim to be your problem would go away and how weird it is that you never say so. But in Europe, there are political movements that say so. They have daily newspapers they put out that say so. They have voices in the parliament that say so and therefore get the attention, even if those voices are only 10 to 20 to 30 percent, which is what they typically are. That's more than enough that the whole community is full of people who can talk to one another over the dinner table, who are friends and relatives of one another. And the idea, the critical perspective gets around the society. You can't play the same game. What the Americans figured out and they are the envy of their similarities in Europe. They envy the United States because it has no opposition, no organized mass political opposition, no socialist party of any size and power, no communist party of any size and power, no anti-capitalist party of any size and power. And therefore it has not got, not the ideas and critical understanding, it has those. 
but it has no mechanism to make them part of the national conversation. That's why we can have debate after debate between Republicans and Democrats, right-wing, moderate, and all, and they all somehow miss the solution about raising taxes, so we never hear about it. We don't hear about the pros and cons of doing that. There are pros and cons to every solution we are faced with these days, but we debate some of them, but we exclude others. If we had a real oppositional political formation in this country, that would no longer be possible. All right. Well, with that said, Richard, that's our goal. That's the most urgent task is to build that opposition, to build organizations that are sustainable, not just demonstrations and movements that go up and down as great as that is. We need real stable organizations and movements because if any place in the world needs a socialist reconstruction, and if there's any place in the world that is actually available to have that happen in terms of the the goods, the wherewithal, it's right here in the United States. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolf.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.